Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with regular guest Rich Posen of the Critical Point podcast, who joins them about once a month to talk about what's going on in the overall economy. Before we head over to Casey, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Volvo Penta. With a perfect combination of strength and versatility, Volvo Penta engines supply industrial operations with durable and reliable performance. To learn more, visit www.volvopenta.com. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. Okay, let's get things going. Here's Casey and Rich with a talk about how the economy is doing as a whole as we near the start of the fourth quarter and how labor challenges and unemployment are impacting things. Met Rich, I don't know, a couple, almost three years ago now, maybe four years ago now. And uh, Rich and I have been have been doing this off and on um, from time to time. And it's nice enough to come on and talk about what's going on. So, Rich, how you been, man? Good, and yourself? And I can't complain any, man. I tell you what, it's been a... Uh, it's it's a very interesting time we're in right now. Markets are uh, a lot of volatility out there in the market, whether it's the uh, inside the commodity market or whether it's in the outside markets. There's a lot of different things that are that are happening, and it's amazing what a what a, you know, a social media post or a simple news story can do to the swing in, in the overall uh, economy. So, Rich, I guess before we get too further down the road, talk a little bit about what you've got going on with your podcast and your website and some of the stuff you have going. Yes. Uh, so I have a podcast that uh, puts out videos and audio during a week. It's 28 bucks a month for the premium service. We put out a few free things. Uh, the site is criticalpoint.podbean.com. And then I have a new site that's just information and introduces myself and it's criticalpointpod.com. So check out both of those sites. And then they can also uh, tweet me at uh, rich underscore possum. The modeling that I do that I present in this podcast is based on primarily the habitual behavior of people in the markets, along with, say, routine tasks. And then, of course, we're looking for surprises, right. uh, as anyone would. And... Um, it, it, it allows us to get some of the demand that just does not show up in the fundamental news and the headlines. It does not show up in your supply and demand balance sheets, regardless if it's commodities or it's some kind of fundamental uh, balance sheet for the stock market or economy. Uh, it picks up on the people that are going to do business no matter what. And sometimes they are not in line with fundamentals and economics. And that's important information that helps explain why fundamentals only explain 50% of price fluctuation. And I say 50%, but really in a day-to-day, year-to-year kind of basis, it's ranges 20 to 80%. So it's pretty volatile. But uh, so many people are saying, gosh, why is the market going in the opposite direction that it should go? <laughs> mm-hmm. And this kind of analysis helps to explain it. It helps with timing, trend following. And not only is it just commodities and stock market that I look at, um, it it helps us with the long term with the economy. I've had great success in the past three decades of keeping up with the economy with this kind of modeling. So yeah, yeah, you've had some good success, and and a lot of stuff you've talked about on this podcast over the years has has uh, come true. So Rich has got a pretty good track record. So I, I would definitely encourage everyone to check out. 
his content and uh, follow Rich on uh, Twitter, which your Twitter handle is Rich underscore Possum, correct? Correct. All right. So be some good stuff there. So, well, Rich, let's talk about what's going on in the economy, man. There's uh, We see some drought situations that are popping up all over the place. Water is a big issue right now as you look from California all the way basically to the Mississippi, depending on where you're at. Two-thirds of the United States is, is uh, struggling with water right now. As you take a look at the outside markets, there's a lot of things going on there that are that are driving some stuff there. And uh, the Fed keeps talking about, you know, one day they're going to raise rates. The next day, they're not sure if they're going to do it. And there's <laughs> back and forth there. So I guess a million different things kind of point stuff in different directions, Rich. But I guess what's your synopsis overall of the overall economy so far this uh, heading into the fourth quarter of the, uh, of the year? Yeah, we're going to finish well for the economy. It's doing very well. Uh, I follow something called PMI that comes out once a month. And then I make indicators from that. And uh, I prefer the manufacturing, even though I realize services are now a bigger portion of our economy. But I find services just tends to follow manufacturing. So it doesn't necessarily matter which one you use. You can even combine them. But the PMIs for August were very good. The, the economy actually sped up a little compared to July. Now, the PMIs are off the high of the year, which you might think, oh, that maybe that means the economy is slowing down. That's not the case. It's a high enough rating to assume a very strong economy, strong economic growth. Yes, we still have issues. There's still a lot of people who are unemployed, but I think quite a few of those just don't want to be unemployed no matter what we do. So we got to get used to some new statistics on that. There's a lot of early retirement, and so that's going to kind of confuse things. So I'm sure there'll be people betting on the downside of the economy and stock market for a long time to come. I think they're going to be wrong. Um, I think we're going to finish the year with a good good note on the U.S. economy. And I think the stock market's going to do well. Although next few weeks, I am looking for a bumpy road here in the stock market. But that's just normal trading, how we do business, how we invest. Um, again, looking out to year end, I think the stock market ends on a good note and uh, that we also see... Uh, Economic indicators looking good. So now next year, I want to throw in next year, I am looking for maybe hitting a little speed bump in the economy. Uh, maybe the more, uh, maybe a, <clears throat> a deeper correction in the stock market than anything we've seen this year. Uh, I do see that as a possibility, but it's actually looking very good for this decade, most of this decade. And I can even show if we want to switch, I can show you uh, some long term. Uh, indicators with this PMI and the economy here. Yep. I got one quick question for you. You, you hit on a point that I think is kind of resonating in a lot of people's mind right now. And that's, that is the, the labor issue that we see right now. And it's not, um, it's the, the lack of labor we're seeing really is being driven by, you know, various government programs, those kind of things that are still paying people not, not to work from, from COVID related relief programs, those kind of things. So, I guess when you look at the long term of this, Rich, and you start looking at the overall spectrum of uh, of the economy and kind of what the Fed has alluded to as far as quantitative easing goes, and 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 how you know looking at um, how employment is going to play into that when they start raising rates and those kind of things. At what point do you think the economy is just going to factor out those folks that are that are there that are that are in that that COVID relief type of thing and start really just focusing on what we see right now. Cause right now 
I, I've had a dollar for every help wanted sign I saw, man. I tell you what, I wouldn't have to be doing this podcast right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I know it. It's um, well, I, I think the economy in, in general is is coping with this and, and pretty much assumes we have enough employment to continue to grow. The stock market definitely is on board with that idea. It's not that concern. I, I think it. I think the stock market, especially the bond market people, have an understanding when you have a recession, the next seven to nine years, unemployment normally comes down and you eventually achieve full employment, which for me is 4% or lower. We're not quite there yet, but we will get there over time. Could it possibly slow down because people just will not come back? I don't know, because a lot of this unemployment should be ending about now, from what I understand. So we're going to get some people back online here. But at the same time, I think we've done something structurally long term. It might be difficult to get unemployment as low as what we've seen over the last 50 years. Like, can we really see three and a half, three or lower, something like that? But I don't think we need it because statistics show that we did very well, like a four and a half percent unemployment for a very long time. So I think we're getting close to that rationalization that maybe it doesn't matter how many more come back on line for employment. Uh, and I think next year and beyond, and next year and beyond, we should see evidence of that. I think. Do you think there's an issue that we could see with with labor, where there's you know there's a lot of stores out there right now that are cutting back hours and those kind of things because they don't have the help to uh, to keep things turning. You know, and so they might be closed on Sunday when they used to be open. And they might you know those kind of things. Do you foresee any kind of issues there that could kind of allude to your speed bump you talked about? in next year that there could be some of that kind of hiccup out there that could allude to slowing down because of labor? It, it may be. I'm currently dialing as a small amount because even if I knew nothing of what was going on in employment, the model would still say you're going to hit a little bit of a speed bump next year. Gotcha. Okay. It's just normal business of how we, how we do business. Great. Let's take a look at your, at your trends there. So this is a, uh, an annual chart of the PMI that I just discussed. And you look down here and I show nine year as labels. Uh, these days, I've also got a different name for it, uh, for the model. It relates really for the macroeconomics that it relates to a juggler business cycle. It was discovered by someone by the name of Juggler uh, decades ago. Okay. And he learned it from demographics. He learned it from business statistics. He learned it from looking at recessions and depressions. And it still works today. And, and obviously, people are saying, well, the Fed is changing everything, all this money printing. The fascinating thing is, I think the Fed began in 1913. <laughs> I can find this cycle in the economy and GDP in the stock market well before the Fed ever began. And it really hasn't changed today. It may be a bit more volatile, and in the stock market, it's you know the stock market is far more profitable than ever before. But the cycle is still there. We still get bear markets. The bull market doesn't go on forever, and we still get recessions. Um, and so, basically, what this is telling us is about once a decade, we're going to get what I call a primary recession, and you'll normally get a 20, 30 percent drop in the stock market, maybe as much as 50 percent. And we're on track. This indicator correctly was calling over the last three years for a setback in the stock market, a setback in the economy. Granted, if we didn't get the virus pandemic, it would have been a mild recession, one of the mildest ever. And that was where I was going at the time with my forecast. But I always warn people, things can be worse than what I think. And I'm still right. And the model's still right. 
And it was worse than what we thought when it came to the virus recession. But the interesting thing is, I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but the virus recession showed up as our main driver at the right time to cause a recession. So, and now, even if the virus wasn't there, we would have got one anyways. But again, it might have been quite mild. At any rate, this PMI indicator slammed higher last year. The recession bottomed last year. The market, the PMI went higher this year. Now it's backing off. And some people might get nervous. Oh, the economy is slowing down. You don't want to get nervous about the PMI coming down once you've got the recession out of the way. History shows this indicator will go down as the economy is growing. It's, it's like it runs too fast, too soon. It backs off. We don't want to get concerned about the economy until it drops below 50, because that means the economy is actually moving backwards. We're losing, we're losing momentum. As long as we're not due for a major business cycle downside, like the one I just showed you here in this chart, this nine year, uh, chances are you won't get a true recession. But if it's, if it's at the time that nine years supposed to be down, look out. There's probably at least a 90% probability you're going to get a recession. And so this indicator is doing what it's supposed to. And if we switch to the next chart, this is a cumulative study of the PMI. All I'm doing is saying if the PMI is above 50, add it to the prior month. And if it's below 50, subtract it. If it's at 50, do nothing. Leave it unchanged. And what this does is filter out some of the fluctuation, those speed bumps that occur during the year and during every few years, like what's supposedly going to occur next year. It filters that out and allows us to concentrate or focus more on the nine-year cycle I just showed you. So here it is, recession. And this is just saying economic growth all during those years. Then we had the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, financial crisis. And then, yes, we get little speed bumps along the way. We can't filter out everything, but the largest moves relate to recessions. We just had another recession. Now, this indicator is record high. This runs a high correlation with GDP um, in terms of dollar amount, not the percent, and with nominal GDP per capita. And so what this indicator is telling us, the economy is already record large. We've recovered that quickly from this virus recession. Now, of course, some of it is not just consumers and businesses wanting to put an end to the recession. Some of it was money printing <laughs> that helped out, right? And, yeah. and, and the unemployment, anything and everything helped to do that. But the point is, uh, you know, I'm confident even if we hadn't done those things, probably by next year, we would have been out of the recession anyway. All we did was speed things up. We managed things. We, we kept it from getting worse. And, and I'm thoroughly convinced, yeah, the, the economy is record large. If we put a dollar amount on what is the U.S. worth, it's worth more than ever right now. But that still doesn't mean everybody's happy. <laughs> it doesn't mean all businesses are making money. But it is correlating well with the day-to-day -day data we see businesses are making money. More so big business, uh, like your question on unemployment, you know, can that still be a negative factor? I must say, I, I still think business on Main Street, the small mom and pop shops, some of them have issues because let's face it, if they can't run full hours, they may not get full revenue that uh, or income that they would normally make, right? And part of that is unemployment. But the interesting thing is you start moving to bigger and bigger businesses, get into these big corporations. It's like, even though they're not at full unemployment, they've been able to just go nuts. They've been making tons of money. And the stock market's reflecting that. That's why it's going to record high. So the stock market doesn't tell us, you know, the stock market and these indicators say, oh, this is the greatest time ever. 
Well, obviously, there's still some people having problems, especially small business. But I think we're working through those. I mean, that's even without this virus recession and all the money printing, looking at past generations and past cycles, business cycles, you would see that, uh, you know, the, the small business doesn't necessarily jump on board right at the end of a recession. It takes a few years for them to get on board. It, it does kind of trickle through the through the system. But right at the moment, I'm very encouraged with this. Uh, it's warning near the end of the decade, we're going to get another downturn like on this chart. We're going to get another recession. It's just a matter. Is it going to be the mildest ever? Is it going to be the worst? Quite often, I can't tell you a, such a detailed story. I don't think anyone can. But the beauty of this modeling, unlike m- most analysis and most economists and analysts, is I can give you a time frame of when you better expect trouble. And uh, that's fairly accurate. And again, I may not get the story exactly right, but again, I don't think anyone does. But um, at least it can give us that time frame where we say, gosh, you know, we better uh, we better protect ourselves a little bit. We better be looking over our shoulder what might go wrong. And right today, the model's saying we're not going to get any significant uh, change to something seriously wrong here, unless we get hit by an asteroid. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, that's a good point. So let's hit on inflation a little bit, and you talk about the money printing thing, and obviously a lot of the the economic growth that we've seen is because of the amount of money that's been pumped back into the economy, and whether it's been through stimulus checks or whatever it might be, there's a lot of money that got pushed back out there. The Fed has made um, some remarks here uh, at their Jackson Hole meeting that uh, you know kind of leading up to that, the idea of of doing some tapering was on a table and it kind of sounded like after uh, the Jackson Hole meeting that there was the idea of tapering was kind of off the table uh, or at least going to go back to the drawing board anyway. So I guess when you look at inflation right now, where we're at now, uh, there's a higher inflation mark that we've seen that we've seen in a long time. I mean, it's more expensive to go buy about anything that you want to go buy. Some of that is scarcity of product, you know, getting stuff transported from one place to the other, those kind of things. But I guess as you take a look at inflation right now, in the short term and in the long term, what are your thoughts there? And and do you see some concern with that moving into 2022 and uh, the rest of 21? Yeah, I think, um, you know, depending on the type of inflation measurement or metric you're looking at, uh, some of it's like over 5% right now. People have been forecasting 6 7% and maybe even higher. I think we've about seen the highest it's going for this year. I can't roll out a little lingering upside. I think by next year, you're going to see inflation come back to 3 I've been saying 2 That might be asking for too much. Um, but I, I think you'll see the rate come down. Now, the, if the rate comes down from, say, 5% to 3%, what is that telling us? It's telling us you still have prices are still going higher. So we're probably still going to see still higher prices somewhere. It's not not everything. I think it's starting to break up. I think some of these stores, you'll actually see them back off some prices a little bit. You'll see a few more sales on at times. But in general, yes, probably everything will be more expensive uh, next year for the U.S. If we if we can summarize as as a single price of what's for the store for the U.S., it should be higher next year still. But the key is it's now going to rise at a slower pace. And that's why the inflation rate will come down, but it's still going to be positive. I don't think you're going to see a 0% inflation for years to come now. I realize if you look over the last three decades, what would happen is we'd get this Maybe you get a surge of like 5%. Next year, it's three. Next year, it's zero or a half. 
and, and the Fed had had problems for many years that they wanted to just see two all the time or averaging out to two. I think it's going to get easier now for the rest of this decade for the Fed to get its 2%. Um, it's going to be more like the 1950s, 1960s. There at times could be moments of scaring us a bit that it's like the 1970s, but my modeling is saying if we're going to get a 1970s, it shouldn't be the next year. And what's the difference? Well, throughout the 1950s, I think we averaged 2.5%, maybe a little lower. And in the 1960s, maybe a little higher than 25 might be 3 But when we got to the 1970s, it averaged 70% for the entire decade. So that means many years of 7%. Just prices are just going up and up and up. And I just don't see that to next decade. And I wonder, will we see it? Because we're far more creative and productive than our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Uh, we And we work hard, uh, despite what some people might think. And it just seems like it's going to be difficult to push prices higher and higher nonstop compared to prior generations. It's, it's uh, the money printing in a way is supposed to cause more inflation. Strange thing is I'm picking up the mechanics are saying, but it's going to be different this time around. So I am a pro inflationist or a bull inflationist, meaning I think we've got higher inflation. And I think it's going to be around for a long time now, but I'm not convinced it's, it's going to be the runaway inflation like the 70s. If it is, I don't think it occurs to next decade or later. We'll get back to Casey and Rich in a moment, but first I wanted to pause to thank our sponsor, Volvo Penta. To learn more, visit www.volvopenta.com. I also wanted to invite you to join us for the next Precision Farming Dealer Summit in early January in Louisville. To learn more and to register, visit www.precisionfarmingdealersummit.com. Now back to Casey and Rich as they continue their discussion on inflation and how Rich thinks the Fed should handle raising interest rates. Rich also shares his forecast for the fourth quarter. So I feel like everybody's getting a little too carried away and saying, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's a, you know, just inflation all decades going to kill us. Not necessarily so, because some of this inflation will be people being paid more. Now, here again, though, they're going to be limited more than ever. Companies can limit how much people pay unless we all go, unless we go back to a union based system. And maybe that's what would create a very high inflation decade someday but not immediately. But unless we rig something there, I, I just don't see where the labor has the power, the force to just say, give me nonstop paycheck, <laughs> pay raises, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just have to stick with my plan here. It's worked so far for me for years that, yeah, we're due for high inflation, but I don't think it's going to be runaway. I don't think it's going to be problematic. I think the Fed needs to be careful how much they raise rates. Uh, they're kind of stuck in a rut, and, or I shouldn't say a rut, but that it's a difficult job to be the Fed. Because yes, on one hand, they should be raising rates because now the economy's growing, the recession's over. They should be raising rates to provide themselves a cushion. So when the next recession comes, they can lower rates and help out. The problem is people get all nervous and jittery that they raise rates. So it's kind of like they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. <laughs> because right. if they don't raise them, people are going to get all upset. Oh, the inflation's just going to explode. It's going to kill us. And if they do raise them, people say, oh, you know, the higher interest rates are raising costs. It's going to hurt us. You know, which is it? What should they do? Well, the Fed should raise rates. But I'm kind of with them that they're talking, what, 2023 now, but they've shown hints of sooner. Um, I don't think it'll be in later than that if the economy grows the way I think. Because I do think... 
Even if inflation backs off next year, I think you'll probably see it up in 2023, 24. I think interest rates should be down. Um, I don't know if they're going to go any lower than where they are now, not much lower, but I just don't think they can go up from now through to late, late next year. And then in 2023, 2024, we should see higher interest rates, but that will coincide with higher inflation. I think we could still see a crap problem in the grain markets that will help boost inflation, meaning we might have a nice bull market. Um, I don't need the grain markets to do that to, to make the uh, inflation forecast correct and the interest rate forecast because that's based more on the overall economy. But there's, there's lots of things to happen in the next few years here that I think could be quite exciting in stocks and commodities and the economy. So, uh, yeah, I see high inflation, but my I'm saying let's not get too carried away that it's a negative right. factor. And I also will throw in a theory I've had, and it starts to me, many economists have it. When you normally come out of a recession, higher inflation is actually, it turns out to be a good thing in terms of how the economy develops. But the longer inflation stays up and the higher it goes, eventually someday it will become a negative factor. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about two things then that are pretty good indicators of, of how the economy are moving. Um, one is the price of oil right now. If you look at uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude, it's uh, trading at about $69.27. Brent crude's about $72.52. Very, performing very well. I mean, the price of oil has been a steady incline. There's a few days in there where they'll have some fairly fairly decent dips, but for the most part, uh, oil is, has shown strength all the way through uh, this, most of this, this coronavirus situation, except for yeah, there's about you know March of last year when we hit that you know negative it was trading negative on the market. But the other thing too is is with the inflation that we're seeing and what some of this thing gold isn't making the moves that you would typically see think that it would make. I mean, higher inflation typically gold runs up in price, but gold's been kind of bouncing around in the 1800s, you know, in there and kind of bouncing back and forth. So I guess you take a look at those two kind of commodities that kind of indicate what's the strength of the economy and stuff like that. What do you see there and and, and what's your thoughts on, on those two commodities moving forward? I think crude oil and uh, copper might be the better tools uh, for hedging for inflation other than on crude oil side, OPEC is very determined not to get prices so high that the alternative energies are, are going to boom yet again. They don't want to see the uh, competition develop. And they don't want to be blamed for hurting the economy either. They want to keep the economy going. So uh, OPEC, is. someone said the other day, they think they're in the most control they've seen in decades uh, on their supply and versus prices. Here's my forecast of crude oil. I think it's going lower into next year. I think commodities in general are going lower into next year. That's going to help my inflation forecast of backing off inflation into next year. So crude oil, yeah, on this chart, these are some of the model signals we give to help people. Uh, like the level one is the most important buy and sell signal during a year. Level two is the second most important. This LT3 really is warning that we probably put in a minor long-term top, that uh, the future level one, level twos can have a, a lower bias, that there's going to be more downside than upside, but it certainly can bounce from time to time, if for nothing more than just normal business, day-to-day -day business. I think this supports my idea uh, for lower inflation because uh, it's looking as though, yes, crude oil can back off. I don't think it's going to back off a huge amount. I think later this decade, we'll probably see uh, higher than what we've seen this year, but I don't know how much higher. And on a super long-term basis, even though commodities might be bullish in the next decade, we have to realize 
this alternative invest, uh, energy thing is, is significant. All right. So I think it's going to become difficult for crude oil to move to like record highs or anything like that. I, I think it's uh, pretty much over uh, in terms of being capable of moving over $100. But that doesn't mean you don't have great trading opportunities and crude oil to make money if you're a speculator. Uh, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be hedging energies if you're like a commodity producer and need to protect your inputs. But anyways, the forecast today is saying crude oil will probably go lower. I think that's going to fit in line with that lower uh, inflation rate that I see going to next year. Now, this is the gold market. I've got something here in gold where the people who are trying to use gold to hedge, they need to be cautious of how well it works. There's something going on in the gold market that it just doesn't seem to have the upside push that it should have. And I don't know if Bitcoin is stealing some of the hedging thunder that we would normally see in gold, or is it just the fact people just don't think inflation's that big a deal to really load up on gold, or, or are we balancing the demand with enough supply of gold? I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me to figure out where that's going, but I will say we do not, for, for anybody's bullish gold, I don't think you want it to violate the lows of this year, okay? The low of the year. And what occurred here, this stab you see last month, literally a few days before that drop occurred, I wrote a report saying, you do not want to see the low taken out in gold because it's probably going to, gold will probably be bearish the next five, seven years. And, but I also put in there, I don't mean it's going down for five to seven years. I mean, it won't go to a record high over the next five to seven years. Uh, I don't want to be overly bearish here by no means. Well, the weird thing is I know where I put that article out and they just started selling gold. They sold it all the way down to near the low of the year and then bought it back. And so that's called a double bottom. That makes it even more important for people who look at charts or they do the technical side, whereas I do both. I'm, I'm fundamentalist, economist, technical. <laughs> I'm anything and everything that works. Um, there is a chance gold is going higher the next two years. And, and then it may have a difficult time moving higher for maybe three to five years instead of five to seven. So that's an alternate scenario. It's still on the table. And if we are having higher inflation by 2023, 2024, I could see where gold could wake up and we could get record highs in gold. But all I'm saying is the model saying if it violates this year's low, it may not work as a good hedging tool. Even if inflation is going higher, gold may have problems uh, for a while. So we'll see where it's going, because if you ask me, the market doesn't know what to do right now. OK, yep. granted, they sold it off. Somebody bought it. Someone said, oh, buy the dip. But now it's like everybody's sitting back and saying, well, what do we do next? How does gold fit in to this economy inflation story? And I just feel like I feel like the bond market is saying, don't get all excited over inflation and just consider the economy is going to continue to grow. I wonder if the gold market is doing the same thing. So we'll see. It's something to watch. Uh, I'm just not a big fan of gold, even though in theory, there's an opportunity here to move higher in the next couple of years. And I don't doubt by next decade, for some reason, we might even see a record high. But it just, I don't see gold marching higher every single year all the way in the next decade. It's going to have some complications and problems from time to time. So this is the gold analysis and the crude oil analysis are separate, maybe with a little feedback loop in there of everything else I'm looking at, but they're kind of separate. And yet that, that supports my idea of inflation, that it probably won't go uh, bonkers on us next year. <laughs> right, right on. Well, in, in 22, um, 
everyone's favorite thing to be a part of. You know, you got the election cycle coming up. You've got uh, midterm elections coming up, and you're going to see there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets pushed through just because everyone's trying to get reelected or get elected or whatever, whatever the situation might be. The uh, infrastructure bill looks like it's got it's gaining momentum uh, all the time. You know, things are getting added to it, taken away, and, and those kind of things. I guess as you do that, as you look into this election cycle and, and kind of what is what are some of the indicators you pay attention to during this time frame to really show kind of how how the economy responds to these various election cycles that we see, whether it's a presidential election cycle, a midterm election cycle, whatever it might be. I mean, as as you come and look at these, you know, coming in and out of recessions, those kind of things, when you're looking at those election cycles, how, how do you measure what's, what the economy does and what the reaction is to those election cycles? Yeah, to me, the politics will be short-term problems. It would probably Im- impact the stock market more than the bond market. Bond market is, well, a lot of people think the bond market, the, the traders are just smarter figuring out where the economy is going and they try to stay more focused. They we do have to consider that maybe some of this throttling back in markets. I don't see, I don't see the politics uh, interfering with the economy and throttling back the economy. If the economy is going to throttle back, it's just normal business and it's brief. We just happen to hit a period when we say, I don't want to buy anymore. Okay. I want to take a break. And, and then pretty soon we're back to, to buying and boost the economy more. I think the infrastructure bill, I don't know if it get passed or not. I, I'm not trying to forecast that. I, I think it probably will. Uh, because you do have even conservatives saying they can get on board with it. It's just an argument of how much do they do. So I think in general, it's going to get passed. It's just what will it look like and uh, for the final result. That's still going to be significant, even if for some reason the conservatives were able to push through and get it cut back to what the liberals or Democrats or Republicans, whatever, uh, what they wanted. I think um, it's still going to be a significant amount of money that's going to boost the economy. So if we get that done, the impact on the economy may be late next year on into the following year. Maybe that's also going to help with my scenario of a little higher inflation by 2023 and uh, and a still growing economy. So I view that as a, a plus right at the moment. The, the, the model is saying, saying put that in as a plus factor that we're going to get yet another boost uh, from more of the government side uh, than what we might normally expect in, in a business cycle. But the politics can certainly upset the stock market on a short-term basis. And it is something to consider. Midterm elections are are important. I've always said that if you get a president elected, Congress is also of the same bias, uh, pretty much of the same party as, as leadership. By time of the next midterm election, voters will generally change that, even if they're even though they don't want to see their guy lose some power, it's kind of like they prefer a better balance. So it's just strange to me. In other words, if, if we have a Republican president right now and you had a Republican Congress, by the time you get to midterm, it's almost like Republican voters will even allow some Democrats. <laughs> and the Democrats right, do the yeah. same thing. It's kind of like yeah. we, we truly believe in our system of some kind of balance and we just feel safer of, Hey, my guy's in there, but you know what? I don't want him to uh, have an open range here, do whatever he wants. It's, it's just interesting. So it will be important down the line, but the model's saying right at the moment. It's, um, another way of looking at this is really government influence on the economy is probably 10% or less. 
including the Federal Reserve, which some people say is not government. Um, but I lump them in there for, and, and so this means that 90% or maybe even a little more is made up of business and consumers and consumers is largest portion of that it might be as high as 70%. And if you go back and study history for the history of this country, I can even go further back when I study Europe and I see the same thing. Uh, really governments, all they do is add or take away from the economic growth or the economic recession uh, within these business cycles. So it's kind of like you and I are creating these business cycles, not the government, but they may make things not as good for us. They may make things worse at times. They may make things better. And right at the moment, it looks like we got a two thumbs up that it's going to be better. The money's there. It's a huge amount of money. And like I say, this infrastructure is just going to be the next pile of money and the next tranche going on there to, to boost the economy. Okay. So let's jump over last topic here. We'll, we'll shut things down. When you take a look at, when you take a look at what's going on in the world, you know, China still buying a ton of commodities from us. They, they'll, they'll stop for a minute and then prices will kind of dip. They'll jump back in and buy a bunch of stuff, you know, and they'll be kind of playing that game. What we see down in Brazil, as far as uh, some record drought, hundred year droughts and stuff down in those key growing areas that we see there. So there's going to be that shortage of corn uh, worldwide. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see that really start to play out. I guess as you take a look at, at the overall world economy and, and exports and all those kind of things that we see happening out there, what's your overall feel for the world economy as a whole over the next couple of years here? And, 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 and do you still have that same, because last time we talked, you still kind of had a very positive view on, on what we saw. Do you still feel the same way as you look at the world economy? I do. Uh, we'll still see global growth. It's not growing as fast as the U.S., but that's <laughs> recent decades. That's become common. Um, I, I'm good with the growth. There could be issues at any time. Uh, the pandemic, uh, these variants could cause a greater problem in the rest of the world than I think the U.S. at times. So there could be hiccups here. And we'll probably will see a global little tiny speed bump next year as well, kind of coincide with the U.S., but nothing major overall. I'm pleased that Europe is even going to start tapering probably ahead of the U.S. Maybe that'll cause some problems because when you start to taper, it does scare some people that you're, they're going into an unknown phase or something. But generally, you want tapering, okay? It's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like it's negative short-term news. It's long-term positive news to taper because what it means is these central banks are saying, you know, it looks like the coast is clear. We're out of the recession. You ought to have economic growth for at least a few years, if not many years. You know, we can back off now. And so you really want to see uh, the central banks do some tapering. And I think we'll probably see that somewhat around the world here. So I'm bullish on that. Now, I'm bullish. And I think in like a commodities and supply and demand balance sheet, may, you may see people ratcheting higher the demand. But that doesn't mean commodity prices go higher. I still think we're going to see a back off of commodities into next year. And then probably commodities will rebound again in 2023. So even though if I'm bearish pro uh, commodity prices, and I am, I'm bearish grains. I'm even, I have a, I have a bet on the downside in corn and soybeans right now. And I've done very well. I was long-term bullish corn and soybeans from August of last year into May and July of this year and uh, huge gains. And now I've, I'm on the short side and got nice gains. But um, even though I'm bearish prices doesn't mean I'm bearish the demand you see on the supply and demand. Um, what it is, is it's just we got prices high enough that it's just difficult to sustain them. Normal business will probably bring those prices down somewhat, okay? 
So I'm, I'm not saying commodities are coming down enough to be uh, a sign of something wrong with global demand. I think China is going to be a little more cautious how they buy uh, grains. I think Brazil, even though a terrible uh, season for them on the corn market, I think um, I'm currently dialing in the chance for record uh, size crops next year in Brazil. Argentina seems to have a problem every year, and they certainly could have another one. So I'm not too sure where I'm going uh, with their balance sheet right now. Uh, now, when I say I see big production next year out of Brazil, I've currently I'm only moderately bearish. I'm cautiously bearish Brazil corn prices just because it's so tight now. But I think they're going to kind of ease back uh, with U.S. prices and global prices a little bit. And I also want to look out for La Nina because, as I've told you here for some time, we, we were due we're due for a crop problem from 2021 to 2024 in the U.S. It can also be global or various regions of the world. 2021 was obviously not the year. And I correctly warned oh, way back in February, I said, you know what? I don't think it's going to work. I don't think this is the year for us. We're going to have to wait another year. Currently, I think the crop problem I want is going to show up in 2023, not next year. So I think we've got another good crop coming, frankly. It might be a bit smaller, however, uh, than this year. It might be starting, in other words, towards that problem of 2023. But I could be wrong. We could see 2022 is on the table and La Nina has returned. I haven't had any updates in a while. I don't know if it's increasing. Um, if it comes back, that could be a bit bullish this winter here relative to Brazil and Argentina. And then if La Nina is here like April 15th or later, uh, that could be a sign we got a crop problem coming next year. So I'm watching those things, but right at the moment, it just looks like we're back to normal supply and demand, but prices are elevated for what we would see for normal supply and demand. So I'm assuming we still have lower uh, grain prices coming here into next year, but I just got to keep watching out for the La Nina. If I, if I think we got La Nina is here to stay, it's serious, I could care less what my model says. I'm probably going to be bullish grains. <laughs> okay. But without the La Nina, I think the model's on the right tack, track here. We're, we're going to see prices ease back, even though you might be puzzled looking at USDA balance sheet saying, gosh, it's still tight. Doesn't matter. These are high enough prices. I've seen this over 40 years of working with grains, livestock, dairy. It, it should work again. Right on. Well, Rich, great stuff as usual, man. There's a lot of good information here, a lot of great information that that you can that you put out there as well. So, if folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is that you're doing. Where are the best places to go find that? Uh, go to criticalpoint.podbean.com. Now, that website is just a list of free and premium service audio videos. There's nothing else. Uh, my newest site, which we're constantly changing, currently have a little issue of how it looks and this and that, but it's called criticalpointpod.com. But that's just for information. It tells you who I am, what's my models. I give out some very long-term free stuff on the economy, commodities and this and that. But there is a link to get to the other site where you can get uh, the premium service. And uh, you want to check it out. It's It's got its own built-in little free trial. In other words, when you sign up, for the premium service, it's not going to start billing you for two weeks after you sign up. So if you cancel before then, uh, you got yourself a free trial, but I think you're going to find you're going to want to watch it for a few months. And if I think, you've, and my guess is uh, after a few months, you're going to say, I need to keep this on my table here and on my desk uh, to help me figure out where we're going with business and markets. That's good stuff, man. And anytime that you get a chance to take a look at what Rich has got going on, mate. 
do it because there's a lot of great information out there. And like I said, you know, he, he's called some stuff very correctly here, here of late. So, and especially since the time we've been, we've been talking. So I, I would highly recommend that you, that you give Rich a, a chance there. So, well, I am Casey Seymour, Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com, and you'll find the entire library of Moving Iron Podcasts there, as well as all of the other blogs and stuff that I've written in the past. Thanks, Casey and Rich, and thanks to Volvo Penta for sponsoring this podcast. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. Find more from him in the print magazine and on farm-equipment.com slash expert. And you can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Rich, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.